turn with me to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This morning, we're going to spend our time in Mark chapter 6. We're going to do three things together. We're going to, first of all, walk very carefully through the passage. We're going to just pay attention to some of the words that are there and allow ourselves to make sure that we hear what is in the Scripture this morning. And then we're going to make three observations about the nature of gospel ministry as it was given to the twelve apostles and by extension, ultimately given to us. So we're going to make three observations about the nature of the gospel ministry. And finally, that we would have three encouragements as we make disciples today, in our present context, and given all of salvation history that has happened even since the day that we read about today in Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 7. Uh, Before we look at those things, I just want to spend a moment in prayer with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has been given to us today. Thank you for the reading of your word and that we all get to receive from it. We pray that your spirit would work by your word to affect what you would accomplish in the midst of your church this morning, that we would be informed and that being informed and receiving what we have from your word and spirit today by faith, that we would be transformed that we would be transformed into the church that you have made us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for your commission, not only to come to you, to be sent out by you with your presence, power, and authority. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your good name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, as we look at Jesus' ascending of the 12, Mark 6, Verse 7, the first thing that we see is a people who are called and sent. Look at it with me. Look at verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. This isn't the first time in Mark that we discover Jesus' purpose for the twelve. Remember, he's called twelve disciples, particular disciples. Now, let's be clear. Jesus has a lot more disciples. And then when you see the word disciples working its way through the gospel of Mark and the other gospels, we shouldn't be so narrow as to think it's only talking about the 12 disciples. He has lots of disciples who are following him even place to place. I I believe that if you look, compare the accounts of even the Lord's Supper, that there's more than just 12 people up there in that upper room taking communion, receiving this gift of the Lord's Supper together. Jesus has a lot of disciples. But there are 12 that he called the 12, and here he even calls them his apostles. And they play a particular role in the history of 
the church. What we actually have back in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus has appointed these 12. Look at it. If you want to look over there, you're welcome, or you can look on the screen here. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So we see that Jesus has already appointed 12, and he's giving them these twin authorities, all right? This authority to preach and an authority to cast out demons. We remember that Jesus called the disciples to follow him. Now, what's interesting about calling disciples to follow Jesus is it turns out that it didn't just mean that they would follow him to know what he knows. Now, they did come to know what he knew. They did come to listen to what he was teaching and preaching that they might make that word known into the places to which Jesus would send them. But it turns out that they would not only know what he knows, but it means that they would do what he does. Now, that's astounding. They would do what he does. But this is so important. They don't do what he does the way that he does it. And here's how. Jesus does it because he is the Lord God. He is the God-man by whom the, sin, the curse of sin is reversed, by which the enemy is cast out, by which the sick are healed. But rather, they do it in his name by his authority, and by his power. What have we seen Jesus doing? Well, just in recent chapters, all right, we would have to go back through a total of six chapters so far just to see all the things that Jesus has done. But just in recent chapters, we've seen him touch the unclean. We've seen him go after the one, be willing to stop in a crowd, to go to a man who is demon-possessed and beyond all hope. We've seen him making disciples. We've seen him calling people who came to him for one thing and one desperate need and see him give them something so much greater, not just the meeting of a need, but to call them to himself into a genuine relationship with their maker and redeemer. We've seen him calling and growing faith. We've seen Jesus rejected. Really, rejection is the ultimate expression of what it means to even follow after Jesus. To walk through these many things sound great, but what if following Jesus also means to be rejected? And now we see Jesus tell this group of 12 and tell them to go and that they are to say what they have seen him saying and that they are to do what they have seen him doing. Now this morning, we have received the same commission. We, we see this commission in the Great Commission and in the works of the apostles and the establishment of the church and the proclamation of the gospel. And if you, like me, struggle to believe that you can bear witness to Jesus, this has been a struggle for me throughout the whole of my life to this day, even as a pastor, struggling like, who in the world gives me the right to say these things and to call people to faith? All right, I'm not ready. I don't know enough. Do you, are you resonating with me? Has anyone else dealt with that struggle? Like, that's just, that's just 12 special people. Maybe that's just pastor's jobs, and then you become a pastor, and you realize, like, nothing magical happened. All right? You still have all the same inadequacies. That perhaps you struggle to believe that you can engage in making disciples. Pay attention to this passage. Who are these dudes? 
Who are these 12 people that go out with the authority of Jesus to make disciples? They are a largely ignorant mess. That's who they are. I don't think that's an overstatement. I think, watch Mark. He, like, he almost goes out of his way to point out that they are a largely ignorant mess. And really the biggest fool of them all, Peter, is the one who's giving his account to Mark to record. All right? He's one of those who were sent out on that day. We're going to see just how ignorant, if not straight up sinfully unfaithful, he was in just a few chapters. But remember this. They like we, do not go on our own authority to proclaim our good news and to make disciples of ourselves. No, they go on the authority of Jesus to make much of him. And and friends, Jesus is not a mess. He is right and sufficient and his gospel is complete and it is good. They go on his authority which is interesting because we're about to go to this. What does it mean that he gave them authority? But why? And we're going to look at the way that not only do they go by his authority, but they also go with his provision. Well, the question is, why do they go not on their own provision, but by the provision of the Lord? Well, it's because they go not in their mission, but his. You see, this making disciples thing isn't the disciples' idea. The making disciples of Jesus Christ idea comes from the Lord himself. The mission into which we have been called and to which specifically this 12 were given on this day is a mission that belongs to the Lord himself. And if the mission belongs to the Lord, it has to be done by his authority and by his provision to God alone be the glory in the success of the mission. So that's the second half of what we see in the passage in verse 7. He called the 12 and he sent the 12. You see that he called and he sent. He sent them out two by two. We'll look at that later. But then he gave them authority over unclean spirits. They were to do three things. And we discover that it's not just this unclean spirits thing. We actually see that it's three things in verse 13. If you look down to verse 13, we see what they actually did. They cast out many demons. They anointed with oil those many who were sick, and they healed them. And just before that, it talks about how they were proclaiming that people should repent. What we discover is that they went out doing three things, proclaiming repentance, casting out demons, and healing. Now, if you've read through the account, if you've looked ahead just a bit over into Acts chapter 2, which is a continuation of the account of the Gospels, we see in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit comes and he gives power. Now, after the resurrection, we see Jesus again commission the apostles to go and make disciples. Some of you may be familiar with that. Probably the most famous version of that is in Matthew chapter 28, right at the end of the book. We call it the Great Commission. And then, after Jesus' ascension, he gives these apostles his spirit by whose power they do a great work. So the question came to my mind as I was reading Mark chapter 6, is this some sort of mini-commission and Pentecost? Is what happens in Mark chapter 6 some sort of mini-commission? commission in Pentecost. 
The fact is the disciples were sent out to do the work as though Jesus were physically with them. They weren't just sent by his authority, but his authority went with them. The fact is, because Jesus is Lord, he's able to go with his people. That is what it means to minister in the Spirit. It means to go with the Spirit of God, with his people. It's to go not only with the commission, hey, there's something I want you to do, don't really have time to do it myself, so I'm going to send you to go do it, come back and tell me how it went. That's not that kind of commission. The commission that we receive is a commission that comes with presence, provision, and power. It comes with presence, commission, and power because the commission that we receive comes with the Holy Spirit of God who goes with us. In the same manner, this is true of us, as we also have been given a commission and authority by the presence of his Spirit in the midst of our disciple-making ministry. This is a little version. It's a little glimpse in what it looks like to be commissioned by the Savior. That when you're commissioned by the Savior, the Savior goes with you in power and provision, presence. This is one of the many pre-ascension examples of God's presence, his provision and his power given at specific times and for specific purposes. Jesus had something that he wanted to happen around this Galilee area. And he wanted the disciples to go in there, and he wanted them to do that work. This is a pre-ascension, i.e. pre-Acts chapter 2 example of the Spirit's work among the people of God to accomplish the purposes of God. Let's put it in another way. There is, listen, There is no way to have authority over unclean spirits but by the Spirit of God. How do I know for absolutely sure that the Spirit was at work among the disciples? Because the Spirit is the one who cleans up the mess of the curse and the mess of evil and its presence in the lives of the people who receive the proclamation of the word. There's no way for the curse to be reversed except by the power of the Spirit. There's no way by which anyone will believe in the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God, but by the power of the Spirit at work in the human heart to give life there where there wasn't life, to grant faith where there wasn't faith. The Spirit of God is at work in this passage and in the commissioning of these apostles. Now, if you keep going with the passage, you'll see in verses 8 and 9 that basically told them to take nothing. In verses 8 and 9, it says, He charged them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Evidently, two tunics was the more provided for way to go. One tunic was more of a quick way to leave on a journey. Take nothing but sandals, a staff, and one tunic, and specifically not bread, a bag, money, or a second tunic. The bottom line is this. As he calls the disciples to himself, and he's giving them his instructions, he tells them, I want you to go right now 
as you are without encumbrance. Now I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking this is reminiscent of another time where Jesus called a group of 12. Now at that time it was a group of 12 tribes, and they were all gathered together in Egypt. And he called them out to himself, and he made them his people. And he told them, I want you to be ready to leave Egypt. And I don't want you to gather up a bunch of provisions, but I want you to be ready. And when I call you to go, I want you to go immediately, and I will provide for you along the journey. This is an example of Jesus' commissioning of a people for the purposes that he is about in the world. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. I encourage you to write that down in the margin of your Bible. Go back and reflect on that during the course of this week. In this manner, he says in Exodus 12, 11, you shall eat with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Because when the Lord tells you to go, you go. And you go with him knowing that you're provided by his presence and provision and power. Remember that when he called them out of Egypt, he called them to be his child. That Israel was his beloved son. Jesus is promising to care for the disciples in their ministry as he cared for his own children. Friends, there is no safer place on the planet than to be than on the mission to which Jesus has commissioned his church. There's not a safer place on the planet. There is promise there. When I read this passage, I think Jesus is training up the disciples in something of a particularly safe environment, a calling to go with his provision. We do this sort of thing all the time. When you teach a kid to ride a bike, you often do that with your hand on their back or holding the, the bike seat, right? You don't just say, okay, go ride a bike. I commission you, ride a bike. No, you walk along with them and you help them along the way. When you teach a kid to drive, you take them on back streets first. Jesus is training up his disciples in a particularly safe environment. Now, when you're riding a bike and when you're driving a car, no matter what, there is no truly safe environment, right? It's still dangerous and bad things are going to happen. But Jesus is with them and he's tutoring them and training them. Now, something interesting happens. Jesus gives yet another commission shortly before his cross. Jesus will send them out again. The passage is actually recorded in Luke chapter 22. And he tells them that they should have the same confidence that the Lord will provide for them as they go, but they should also be cautious, wise, and well-prepared. Something he didn't tell them in this passage. In Luke chapter 22, verses 35 and 36, it says this. I think this is important to read so that we don't become myopic, as if the only thing that Jesus ever said to his church was, don't be ready for anything. I totally got it, yo. And he doesn't just say that. He says something really that adds something to this in our passage in Luke chapter 22. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag, knapsack, or sandals, did you lack anything? Or did I have you? Right? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now, like he didn't say, that's not true anymore. Y'all are going to be lacking everything. It's going to go really bad because I'm not with you. I'm not going to provide for you for anymore. No, he doesn't say that. He's actually affirming that. But now, let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak. He's still only going to get one cloak. I'm sorry. 
but you should buy a sword. It's going to be really dangerous. You're going to be driving on the highway this time. That doesn't mean the Lord doesn't have his hand on the back or his hand on the seat. The Lord will provide and you'll lack nothing. But where you're going will also take a sort of preparation and wisdom, that we should take the wisdom of the whole council of Scripture with us into mission, particularly following Luke chapter 22. I want to draw us there so we don't become myopic and think that this is the only thing in our passage in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus has ever said about preparing for mission. Today, we make disciples in light of both of these instructions. We're to be prepared, expectant of provision for future provision. I can say that as I've sought to make preparation and and, and walk in wisdom in 25 years of ministry, each step the Lord has provided for only that step, over and over again. But as he's provided for that step, I've taken what he's provided in that moment as preparation for the next step. The wisdom of the Lord has always been really three steps. Prepare wisely. Go now. And see, I got you. Over and over again. I like how Kent Hughes summarizes this section of the passage. The minimum of provisions was meant to call out the maximum of faith. Has the Lord provided what is needed for today? Is his grace sufficient for his mission? And will he go with you? The answer that the disciples would give eventually was, what did you lack? Nothing. Nothing. Let's keep going. Verse 10, he said to them, he gives another instruction. He's already given one instruction about how to make provision Verse 10, he gives another instruction. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. The way that the Lord will provide for his disciples as they proclaim is through the hospitality of the very people to whom they are sent. Now that's fascinating, particularly in this passage, that the Spirit will do a work. But he's going to do a work not only in the disciples as they work and proclaim among the people to whom they have sent. It turns out that the Spirit is going to do a work in the people whose lives they will be ministering to. He'll do a work of hospitality to prepare a place for the disciples as they go. And there's an important principle here for us. So imagine, they arrive in town. They're nobody. Nobody's like, oh my goodness, we get to have uh, Peter and Andrew come to town. Man, I just got a great home for you to hang out with. No. They show up in town, and some poor person in a small home with meager meals receives them on the edge of town, and they have to walk all the way, the rest of the way into town every day to go about their ministry. But as their ministry grows, more wealthy and influential people begin to take notice And they say, well, why you don't have to stay in that little house with that little person? Why don't you come stay at our house and you can stay with us and you won't have such a long walk. You can be with us in the town. And Jesus says, no, ministry isn't a means by which the disciples climb a social ladder. Ministry will take place not by leaving those who supported them behind as a stepping 
as a step in a ladder to climb into higher places of power. Stay in that place and receive the Lord's provision in that place that really that the disciples would do as we see Jesus call them over and over again, as we see the Apostle Paul bear witness that their ministry will take place in weakness, and that's not going to go away. But if you find that there is a place that will not receive you, there is no home for you, there is no home for gospel ministry in that place, Jesus is taking care of most everything for the disciples, but that doesn't mean that they won't face rejection. He's prepared the way for ministry. But part of the fruit of ministry is rejection. Remember, Jesus himself has already faced rejection, even in his hometown, right? In his hometown, he was rejected. Just in last week's passage, these servants are not greater than their master. Though their master cares for them, they too will face rejection. So what should they do when they're rejected? And Jesus is basically saying, you are free. You are free to move on. You're bound to that house as long as they would have you. But then when the time comes to move on, you are truly free. If that house doesn't receive you, you're free. The minister of the gospel does not force or demand or manipulate his way into a community of people. But rather, if the people won't receive you, you're free to move on. At the same time, their leaving is also a statement of God's judgment. We must remember that it is not the disciple that's rejected. Big deal if you don't reject Peter. We already established he's a mess. But what you reject is the word that Peter goes with, which isn't his word, and it's not his mission. It is the Lord's word and the Lord's commission. And the image is of a shaking off of the dust of the feet to stand as a testimony. Now that's important as well. Because what do we hope? That that testimony would stand. And one of these days, someone in that community would remember that day that two disciples walked out of their town and literally shook off the dust from their feet. And they'll remember that testimony and then they'll remember the word. And by God's grace on that day, they would believe. You see, even in the act of bearing a testimony to judgment, the desire is to see grace work. This is always the work of the minister of the gospel to long for. And whatever we do, be done in a way that we pray, God, may grace work in the midst of this people. Continuing on, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick. Yet again, we're reminded at the center of Jesus' mission in the world. It's the proclamation of the gospel that is often accompanied by a call to repentance. We've read this probably half the sermons that we've worked our way through in Mark. We've read Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 to remember the center of Jesus' mission. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, What did he do? What did he say? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
much as we've seen Jesus doing, the demonstration of the power of God to forgive sins of those who turn in repentance comes in the form of great works of power and rescue. I want us to see something, something that blows me away every time I think about it. The great and final grace by which Jesus accomplishes the forgiveness of sin, that great work, Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, on that day, what did it look like? like? It looked astounding if you had eyes to see. But to most, it looked like a guy dying on a cross. That's what it looked like. Dead, like any other criminal. But it was accompanied by a great, miraculous sign. And that sign came in the form of the resurrection. It is by the the Lord's demonstration of divine power, by that great, miraculous wonder that we have confidence, that we have faith in God for the forgiveness of sin accomplished on the cross. It is because of the resurrection, the glorious wonder of the resurrection, that we have faith that the cross worked. It's not just a dead dude on a cross. It's the Redeemer giving his life as a ransom for many. And we know it worked because he rose again. That largely unseen inglorious work of the cross is revealed in all of its glory in the resurrection. Jesus and the disciples in his name are simply making a demonstration of God's power to save. A largely invisible reality made visible by the turning back of the curse and the pushing back against evil. And after they did all of these things and demonstrating this this invisible reality by the breaking in of the authority and power of God among the people, in verse 30, you're like, wait a minute, you just skipped ahead. Yeah, Mark does this all the time. He does these little Markon sandwiches where he sort of frames an account and inserts another account. You have to jump down to verse 30, and what do you see? The apostles returned to Jesus. And they told him all that they had done and taught. You see, we're called to Jesus, not ministry. I'll tell you, that's one of the greatest gifts of this passage. And I hope it's not just a gift to me. I hope it's a gift to you. That that you are called to Jesus, not ministry. That right at the beginning of our passage, what did the disciples do? Jesus called them to himself, right? And where did they end? Gathering back to Jesus, telling him everything that happened while they were on their way. As we've seen, and we'll see in even greater measure following the resurrection, Jesus goes with them, with his presence, his provision, and his power. Friends, you are called to Jesus. And that never goes away. You're never sent away from Jesus into mission. Being called to Jesus, you get to join with him by his presence, his power and provision in mission. So what follows is essentially our application for this morning. The 
the first thing is just three observations about what is gospel ministry. On Wednesday, when Joel, Fair, Justin, Sarah, and I were talking about this passage together, Justin offered three things that I thought were super helpful, and I thought I would share them with you. In our conversation, he made three observations about gospel ministry, and the first is it's uncomfortable. Each of the creature comforts and their worldly sense of safety are removed right at the beginning of the journey. I can tell you that's happened so many times in my life. As I'm moving further and further into ministry, the Lord is taking away more and more of my worldly comforts. It's uncomfortable. We don't know what kinds of hospitality they would find along the way. Perhaps the lodging that they would find would be luxurious. Wouldn't that be great? But perhaps their meals would be served, would be abundant. Wouldn't that be great? But the point is, not that they must be uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable not to know. Isn't it? And sometimes they entered a town, it was great. And I'm sure other times they entered a town and it was very difficult. And it was uncomfortable. The point is that the greatest discomfort of gospel ministry is to be trained to wait upon the Lord. When they go out, they're vulnerable, but the Lord will provide for every need. As Justin shared with Joel and I on Wednesday, this gives us a freedom from the pursuit of our own comfort because we have a God who loves us like a child. And if you love a child, you want them well cared for. We go with Jesus, and he loves us, and he provides for us. If we're engaged in God's mission in the world, we will be provided for by the Lord step by step along the way. The second implication for us and observation is it's not in your own strength. In verse 7, it says, He called, He sent, and He gave authority. The making of disciples, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God is not our first, is not first our mission. It's Jesus's mission. We've talked about that at length already. If it's Jesus's mission, it will be tended to by Jesus's provision. It's not in our strength, it's by his. Do you really believe that the disciples could cast out demons, heal the sick, or even cause an unbelieving heart to repent and turn to God? Do you really think that they could do that? I don't. I've never seen anybody who could do that. It's the Lord who is with his disciples, who is the provision for the mission. He's with them in power. Francis Schaeffer, he describes in his book called No Little People, he says that we're to go about the Lord's work the Lord's way. You see, the Lord doesn't just give a commission. He then gives instruction. And he gives instruction in such a way that the ministry that we go about would be in our weakness and his strength. If we come up with grand strategies and divert off the central commission of a call to repentance, we have no promise of the Lord's help or authority. I remembered when I discovered this myself about preaching. For a long time, I would say out loud, May I be, maybe I could be an associate pastor of discipleship or something in a church, but I could never be a preacher. I don't want to preach. I just can't be creative enough, and I'm not creative. There's a reason why I will just like walk step by step through a passage, and then when I try to summarize it, I quote Justin Sarah, right? I'm just not creative. But I remember when I realized that the business of the preacher isn't to come up with new words, that the business of the preacher is to make much of the word of the Lord. Well, I can do that. I know how to read. 
And by God's grace, he's given me the ability to understand and an understanding that he can give to his church by his spirit. The mission belongs to the Lord. Therefore, the authority to accomplish the mission must belong to the Lord. His word and his spirit present among the people. The second, the third observation is it's together. I told you in verse seven, it says that they went two by two and we'd come back to it. Well, here we are. There are two reasons why he sent them two by two. First is because the truth of a testimony is to be established by two witnesses. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it says, only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Well, the charge is that these people are sinners and they need to turn in repentance. This principle of Scripture is establishing a claim in court, and it grew to become a principle of the establishment of any claim, that these claims would be established by the presence of two witnesses. So the disciples go bearing witness to Jesus. They go about two by two, and they say, yes, this is what Jesus said. You don't have Andrew standing up next to Peter and say, yeah, that's exactly right, Peter. That's what you said. No, they're standing next to one another as mere witnesses to what the Lord has said, and so they go two by two. The second reason is for encouragement and accountability. Along the way, they're going to encounter a greater, great deal of discomfort and discouragement. There will be times that they would desire to find a better lodging and better provision, but one will remind the other, the Lord said, stay here. Maybe we should stay here. And as they bear witness to the kingdom of God, they will remind each other of the truth of Christ, even correct one another about the truth of Christ as they are together in fellowship, in encouragement, and accountability. If they would go as one man, there may be the temptation to believe that they themselves are important. We have that propensity, right? Either that we don't have enough or that we have a little too much. But it's in community that we remember that we've been sent as ambassadors of the Lord himself. And we remind one another of who he is and encourage one another that he is with us. So it's in this discomfort of dependence. It's in the Lord's strength and authority and it's together that we represent the one Lord together. Now, as I thought about what, what these disciples had as they went out in this discomfort and with this authority of the Lord and as they went out together, I thought, what do we have? Do we have identically and in the same way what they have? Well, I would argue as we close is that we have what they had in even greater measure. Consider, we have the word of God. We have, we have the word of God. We have the entire record of Scripture in its completed perfection. What is our authority? Is it not the Lord himself? And the Lord has exercised his power by means of his word. And we have it. We actually have the completed perfection of the word with us to check us and to buoy up our confidence for years. And I'd do it to this day if I didn't turn 40 and my eyes left the ability to see. <laughs> I had this tiny little Bible that I preached from because I could hold it easier the entire time. 
Because I wanted you to see, I'm not making this stuff up. It's all right here. And we walk through it carefully. And I wanted to be reminded that, man, I get to say strong things, convicting things, things that I've even failed at. I get to say them out loud, not on the basis of my authority. But because we have it, we have it right here. We have the Word of God. Secondly, we have the Spirit of God. After Jesus' ascension, when he gives the great commission, he promises these words. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Shortly after, he ascends, and he sends his spirit to anoint his disciples for the ministry that was before them. Now we know that the indwelling of the spirit is necessary for new birth and faith. There is no salvation apart from the work of the Spirit to make dead hearts alive. But Pentecost is not the giving of the Spirit for salvation. Pentecost is about sending the Spirit as an authority for the power of gospel ministry. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has given his Spirit to the church. All the fullness of the Spirit given to the church to empower and enable the ministry of the church. And we know that he goes ahead of us to prepare the mission field for the church, that there would not only be hospitality, but in those places when the gospel is preached, there would be transformation, salvation, and rebirth. We know that the Lord is with us because he sent his Spirit to empower his word. And third... We have the church of God. Two by two is a beautiful thing. But what we've been given is even greater. We've been given an entire family of redeemed to go with. The Lord has established his church everywhere the gospel has been preached. It's in the context of the church that we receive both encouragement and accountability. There ought be no Lone Ranger missionaries. We're a people who go together as the church of God, established by means of the gospel of God. We go with the word of God, the commission of the spirit of God, as the church of God. The Lord has established his church, and it's in the context of the church that the Lord provides for equipping and sending. Praise be to God. And we still live in that moment. We haven't moved on to another moment of independence. We still live in the moment of dependence upon the word, the spirit, the church that God has established. We still live in dependence today. And functionally, this is, has never been more true for Cross Point Coast as we continue to take steps into new places of mission to beg the Lord, would you provide You said you would provide for wherever you would send your people. And our understanding, the wisdom that we have together is he sent us to Brevard County. And he's even allowed us to be sent into different places around the world. And Lord, will you use your church provided for by your word, your spirit, your promise, and your presence? Will you provide for mission? As we close, I want to offer something. It was actually in the video that I sent out earlier this week as well. Just an encouragement regarding gospel ministry. There's a little corrective, and then we'll close. 
about gospel ministry that we come to believe that gospel ministry is like what happens when the church gets together on days like today. You know, like gospel ministry is setting up chairs and making sure that all the guest cards, the connect cards are along the, the end of the aisle. And friends, that's good work. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a very hospitable thing to do, right? I'm glad we do it. And, 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 and being a gospel minister means being a good greeter or maybe running the sound or maybe preaching on Sunday morning. That would be being a good gospel minister. I would encourage you to this as you reflect upon this passage, as you spend time continuing to prayerfully read this scripture in the coming week, let us remember our partnership in the gospel. That our partnership in the gospel is what the Lord has sent us to in life together. That we ought to consider how are we engaged in the commission of making disciples, not only when we're gathered on days like today, or even on days like a community group, but how have we been scattered and sent together, but scattered and sent all over this county, engaged in this word-proclaiming ministry. And may God work the greatest miracle that he could possibly work as you go into those places. May he work the miracle of faith in those who hear the word from your lips. Heavenly Father, we pray in absolute dependence that as we, we're called to gather in your name because we're called to be with Jesus, as we scatter in your name and by your commission into our households, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces and elsewhere, Lord, would we recognize that we go with your presence and we go with your commission and may your word be on our lips May our dependence be upon your spirit. May we go as your church together. Lord, I pray that we would see great wonders, particularly the glorious wonder of new faith, that we would see salvation and we would marvel. Oh my goodness, that's the miracle that you worked in my heart so many years ago. I pray that your word would increase in our midst. In these days, in Brevard County, Lord, we pray specifically for our county for salvation to come to many households. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your good name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.